I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of James in chapter 5. We're going to read in a moment verses 13 through 18. This is the third and final message in the short series on prayer and intercession. I began really on the first Sunday in the new year when I spoke about uh, the travailing prayer, the fact that the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us is always leading us to, sometimes with deep sighings and groanings that we are unable even to express and beyond our understanding, he is constantly making intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That message is on the 3rd of January. And then I've done a series, and this is the final message in this series on prayer. Today my title is Prayer, Laying Hold of the Impossible. Uh, Dr. Jack Hayford had a book out called Prayer Invading the Impossible. I would have used that as my title, but it's his book, so I'm using a slightly different title. But that's what I really mean. Invading, laying hold of the impossible. Now, there is a take-home message that I want you to take home with you and, and, and continue to think about. And in the cell meetings later on today and throughout the week, there's some notes for you to consider this further. Prayer makes a difference. Everybody knows that. Would you say that with me? Prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. Pause. Okay, what kind of difference does it make? Now we know that psychologically, prayer is good for you. We looked at some uh, neurological studies. It's called the new science, the new field of neurotheology, showing how that praying is good for the health. It's good for you emotionally. But now I'm going to go deeper than that because the prayer that makes a difference is not just the prayer that makes you feel good and feel better. The prayer that makes a difference is the prayer that makes a God difference. So here's the full statement. Prayer makes a difference. Pause. A God difference. And it's that God difference that makes all the difference. Because you can get what you want in life, and if it's not God, it will not satisfy you. You can have a gap in your life and you can ask God to fill it. And if you are praying out of your own motivations, out of your own desires, uh, you probably won't get what you desire. And if you do, it won't satisfy you. But you can be in prayer before God and be in the most difficult of circumstances and everybody will look at you and feel sorry for you and you will be rejoicing because God is with you anyway. Prayer makes a God difference. Let's read the passage. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. 
And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Let me ask you a question. Think, reflect for a moment. What is the most outstanding answer to prayer you have ever experienced? I asked myself that question in preparing this message and several things came to my mind. One, one story in particular, this was an outstanding, extraordinary answer to prayer and really, like all answers to prayer, I didn't deserve it because I'd, be, I'd been very stupid. I found myself in Africa, in Kenya, needing a vehicle to transport myself from one side of the country to the other over the mountain ranges, very, very high up. And the only car we could get, I'm making excuses now, are you ready? The only car we could get was in bad condition and it had, the tires were as bald as uh, Wynne Lewis's head and, uh, and, and it, we should never have got it. I'm very sorry, Amanda, it was very silly. I should never have done it. However, I found myself in that situation. We set out at night, late into the night, took the whole of the night to travel over the mountains and a storm hit the mountains. It was a gale, a storm, trees were falling in the mountains road and there was wind and there was rain and, and I felt so at peace in the back of the car having prayed for God's protection that I fell asleep. I felt like Jesus asleep in the boat. <laughs> And I sensed, nothing I can prove to you, but I sensed the presence of angelic powers holding me and sustaining me. A week or so later, making our way back again, this time in the daytime in lovely dry weather, I saw what we'd passed through and I was shocked. Buses had rolled off the edge of the road. There was no edge to the road. The road had been washed away, slippery. There is no way we could have survived that journey unless God had been with us and God had given us protection. Let's give Jesus a wonderful. <laughs> Prayer makes a difference. A God difference. There is no doubt about it. God hears and answers prayer. So you say... Yeah, we, we know that, but I want, I want to really minister that point to you. Prayer really does make a difference. There are people who will say, why bother praying? Because if God knows what he's going to do, then you don't need to pray. He's going to do it anyway. And if your kind of prayer can change the mind of God, then God isn't very big anyway. There are people who are discouraged who pray and pray and pray and pray and don't see an answer to their prayers. And they say, is there any point? Sometimes we fall asleep in the hour of prayer and even in New Testament times, Jesus said, could you not watch with me for one hour? That's the question I ask you. In this 24-hour prayer chain, I'm talking about, could you not watch one hour a week, just one hour? So we have a continuous prayer chain adding to everything else that we're doing in terms of prayer that God might move and the impossible becomes Possible. Samuel Chadwick, a great intercessor, prayer, Bible expositor, said this, There is no power like that of earnest prayer, of Abraham pleading for Sodom, Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night, Moses standing in the gap, 
David's heart broken with grief and remorse. Jesus himself sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Samuel Chadwick says, such prayers as these prevail. They bring fire. They bring power. They bring God. Prayer makes a God difference. So the question is, how does it work? Is it some kind of special prayer technique? Is it the posture? Is there some prayer ritual that you have to go through, positioning yourself in one position or another in order to get God to listen to you? Is it, is it some religious ritual, some kind of thing that if you do it right, it'll work. If you do it wrong, it won't work. No, no, no. The Bible says prayer is relational. It's not a technique. Then the other question is, are there some special people that God listens to? And usually, if you think like that, it's usually not you. You think, well, God's not going to listen to my prayers. You look at the person next to you or the person you can catch a view of on the other side of the church building, and you should have seen the way that person walked in. They walked in. They were so spiritual. It looked like they were gliding two inches off the ground. They looked so holy. Oh, God will answer that person's prayers. And you still have in your mind the, the reflection as you looked <laughs> in the mirror this morning. You said, my God, you're not going to listen to me. No, no, no. The Bible says there are no special people that God will listen to above others. There's no hierarchy of intercession so that if you are a very mature, wonderful believer, God will listen to you. But if you're a brand new believer, if you're struggling in your faith, God won't listen to you. No, God opens the door of prayer in the name of Jesus to every believer. Now, there are two principles that I want to get from this. Now, I'm saying there's no techniques, but there are principles. And this would turn into a seminar if I went through all the principles. Let's draw a couple of key principles from this passage to bear in mind when we pray. Number one, faith is a key. Now, it doesn't mean to say that God will only reward you according to your faith. There are times when God surprises us. We just heard a testimony a little earlier before the message when somebody shared that they didn't even think about praying for the satellite in Saudi Arabia to be used for preaching the gospel. And it happened even before people necessarily specifically prayed for that. God answered even before they prayed. And sometimes God answers even when we don't pray. It's wonderful. Okay, having said that, it's important that when we pray, actually to believe that God is listening and that God will make a difference. The prayer that is mentioned here, the prayer for the sick by the elders, it says, the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. God will raise them up. Wonderful. The prayer offered in faith, the prayer of faith will heal the sick. One of the great early Pentecostal pioneers, Smith Wigglesworth, had a saying. He was very abrupt and uh, he had very little patience uh, with, with people, didn't suffer fools gladly. And he'd often say this, he'd say, if you pray the same prayer five times, it's proof that you have prayed four times in unbelief. 
Now, there is an element of truth to that, that the prayer of faith is necessary only once, but Jesus also speaks about a persistent form of praying in which you keep on praying whether you, believe, whether you see an answer or not. There's a story of that woman, widow, who went to the judge. The judge wouldn't give her any satisfaction, and she kept on it and on it and at him and at him and at him and at him, and eventually said, oh, Somebody shut that woman up. Give her anything she wants. Just get her away from me. And Jesus said, if that's how an unjust judge will respond to somebody who keeps on asking, how much more will God respond to you if you keep on praying and don't give up? Faith is a key. The second thing we learn from this passage is that Relational integrity is also a key. That's quite surprising. In fact, that's one of the things I want you to pick up in your discussions in the cells. Relational integrity is a key. In other words, if you hold resentment and animosity to your brother, don't expect that God will listen to you. That's quite harsh. It seems, but on occasion, Jesus said, when you stand praying and you remember there's something, that, that you, you, somebody got something against you or you've got some, something against them, as you remember, as you stand praying, forgive, forgive, forgive. And here, this confessing of trespassers is not an early form of father confessor type doctrine in the early church. It's simply saying, listen, I've got something to share with you. I want, I want my heart to be right with you. I want us to deal with this thing that's, that's blocking, that's, that's spoiling our relationship. I want to sit down and discuss. I want this to be clear so that when we pray for one another, we can be healed of this rift and, and things can go well and, and the relationship's important. There are two verses in Scripture, the one that I've just mentioned. Jesus said, when you pray, forgive. But also he speaks a word to husbands and wives. Now, the word is directly spoken to husbands, but I'm kind of sure it applies to wives as well. And the word applied to husbands in Peter is, listen, be respectful, be considerate, be gentle with your wives so that your prayers will not be hindered. What a revelation. First of all, the revelation is this. It's the husband praying. How many wives do we have here? Wives? The Bible, it says, the husbands pray. Now, in most families, it's the woman who prays. My grandfather used to say, he was in the Second World War, my grandfather used to say, well, the men went to war and the women stayed home to pray. <laughs> now, prayer is a woman's job as well, but the women seem to know that. So let me just speak to the men for a moment. Men you better learn how to take authority in your home spiritually and pray. Don't leave all the praying to the wives. So it says, but when you pray, remember that a breakdown, if you're harsh with your wife or, or there's a breakdown in marital relationship, it will affect your relationship with God and hinder your prayers. So relational integrity, relational wholeness is a key. Next question I want to ask is, well, who then can pray effectively? 
Who are the best candidates for prayer? Now, in this passage, it talks specifically about the elders. So if you, if you have a particular illness or problem, call the elders of the church and, and they will minister to you. And this shows that God has given to spiritual leaders a, a particular authority when it comes to your spiritual well-being. And that's wonderful. It's a gift from God where the elders and shepherdly carers and pastoral overseers have authority from Jesus to pray for you and to see you blessed. Amen and amen. amen. But actually, that's not where the attention stays. The focus shifts very quickly from the elders who have authority to pray and bless your life to everybody having authority to pray for one another. That's why he goes on to say, not just that the elders have authority, but he says, confess, verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. Pray for one another. This is one of the great one another scriptures. 46, 47 of them in the New Testament, showing that we have a responsibility to love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, teach one another, disciple one another, counsel one another, rebuke one another, and pray for one another, and encourage one another. Amen and amen. amen. So we have authority to seek God on behalf of one another. So this is a one another verse. Every single believer has the right to enter the presence of God with requests in the name of Jesus and have boldness in the presence of God. And then to drive the point home, he uses an illustration. Now, you've got to wait for a little bit for this because it's not immediately obvious. Because he's trying to say, every one of you can pray and see great things happen. Think of Elijah. Stop right there. Now, unless you knew the outcome of this verse, this is what your thoughts would be. <gasps> Elijah, oh no, there's no way I could pray like Elijah. Do you know what Elijah did? He prayed down fire from heaven. He, he prayed and it wouldn't rain. He, he prayed drought. He prayed. He could control the weather with his prayers. He could, he could rebuke the prophets of Baal with his prayers. There is no way I could pray like that. But that's exactly the power of prayer that's at your disposal when you know how to trust God. Because James says, even Elijah, who was a man just like us, the old King James Version, somebody quoted so many years since I've read it. What does it say? Uh, he, he was a man of like passions as Aseth. He probably had an there somewhere. He was just human. In fact, when you study Elijah's life, he had a fear problem. He had a self-image problem. He had an identity problem. He had every psychological problem before psychology had even invented the problems. <laughs> but you see, it's not about how strong you are. It's how strong God is. Yes. And not e prayer isn't even strong. Remember it says, they will pray and the prayer of faith will, will heal the sick. But it goes on to say, the Lord will raise them up. It's not your prayers that does it. It's God who does it. That's why you pray to God and watch him do it. Prayer makes a God difference. So, good old Elijah. What's the story? What's the score? What's happening here? Way back in the Old Testament, there was a division in, amongst the people of God. 
After the wonderful golden reign of Solomon, there was a division in the kingdom around 930 BC where Jeroboam in the north, in the northern kingdom of Israel, and Rehoboam in the south, and, and the northern kingdom turned its back upon God. Jeroboam had set up idols and shrines to, for false gods in Dan and Bethel, golden calves, and then that kind of iniquity was passed on from one reign to another. Omri, who is spoken of in the in Old Testament history as a great and mighty uh, ruler of that time in the Bible, is just dismissed as a wicked king. Then along comes Ahab, who marries Jezebel. He continued in the sins of Jeroboam, worshipping of idols. He rebuilt Jericho, it's the 3J syndrome, Jeroboam, Jericho, and married Jezebel. And Jezebel was uh, the daughter of a Sidonian king, and she brought into Israel the worship, the false worship of Baal and Ashtaroth, which was a pagan fertility religion, and it was all about how to control the weather and the conditions for agriculture. So when Elijah stands before Ahab and says, it's not going to rain until these lips say so. He was saying, you think that your gods are in control. But our God, who is the only true and living God, he is the God whom you should worship because he is the only God who can answer prayer. Now in the book of James we get the inside story. In book of Kings, we see Elijah walking up to the king and saying, now Ahab, listen to this. It's not going to rain from now onwards until I say so. It'd be like you knocking on the door of number 10. You wouldn't get that far anyway. Open the door and say, who's in number 10 right now? David Cameron, hear the word of the Lord. The economy is going down, 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 and it will not rise, rise, rise until I say so. They will cart you off very quickly. <laughs> but Elijah had power, he had authority. Why? Because James tells us the background. James tells us the inside story. He prayed. He didn't go around shooting his mouth off. He prayed that it would not rain. And in this prayer, he was lining up with God's revelation that God said, I want to demonstrate in the nation of Israel who is in charge. And what a wonderful thing. I believe it's the same today. When God answers prayer in your life, he is demonstrating who's in charge. The devil's not in charge of your life. God's in charge. When he answers national prayer, he is showing that he's in charge of the nation. Going back to my grandfather in the Second World War, he experienced this. He was in the medical corps on the beach of Dunkirk. And if you remember from your wartime history, it was a great defeat of the Allied armies. And they were pushed there at Dunkirk, and they had to get the heaven out of there. There was nowhere to go but to cross the channel. Now, they couldn't walk on water, and the nation prayed. The nation was called to national prayer. And do you know what happened? God sent an incredible calm across the channel. 
It was as, like a sea of glass, so still that the smallest, most fragile dinghy or ocean-going vessel could cross it without danger. And so many fishermen and small boats went right across the channel and rescued the Allied soldiers, and they were kept safe. And the whole nation knew that it was an answer to prayer. Can you imagine today if there was a man or a woman of national significance who was able in these days of political correctness to call the nation to prayer to the God of Israel, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to do a miracle in our nation, I guarantee it would happen. Because God wants to demonstrate to the nation and to the nations who is in control. And of course, at the end of the three and a half years, it was time for it to rain again because by this stage, Elijah had dealt with the false prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth, and so it's time to rain. On Mount Carmel, still smoking with the singes from heaven as the fire fell and, and licked up the offering, that sacrifice, he says to his servant, go and watch, I'm going to pray. Hallelujah. This is amazing. Have you got enough faith to say, go and watch, I'm going to pray. Jesus says, watch and pray. So listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're looking for a wife or a husband, don't just pray, watch and pray. Just a little, just a, just a little tip. Watch and pray. Okay. So he sent his servant to go and watch it. I'm going to pray. And he, he, he bent down in a position which was the birth, the child birthing. It was the, uh, you know, where, where how women gave birth. It was the birthing position of the day. Because he was giving birth to a spiritual reality. He sent his servant to go and look and to see if there's any rain. He said, no, 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 come back. Look again. Come back. Pray. Look again. And then he came back and said, yes, there's cloud of the size of a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah said, get going quickly because it's going to come. I hear the sound of, a, of heavy rain. It is coming. He prayed. Didn't rain. He prayed again. And it did rain. Prayer makes a difference. Now, imagine what was going on. If we had a view of this from all perspectives, not just 360, but all the dimensions at work here, spiritual included. Here we have a man praying. And as he prays, you begin to see the wheels of God's purposes move and turn. You look closely, you see angels leaping into action. And demons fleeing away, powerless to prevent what is about to take place. High pressure moves in. Warm fronts are pushed out. Low pressure gets stuck over the continent of Europe. And rain falls here, but not there. The same kind of thing happened not so long ago. In fact, it's still happening. Here is a satellite picture of, of, the, of the Middle East, North Africa, and Europe on Christmas Eve. You know, since heavy rains in mid-December, Israel has been in dreadful doubt, drought. Jerusalem Post, it says this is the worst on record. And if you could interpret this a little bit, let me help you. I'm not a great interpreter of it, but here we have Africa, Middle East, and we have Europe and Britain. Now, what do you notice? You notice all of it. I feel like the weatherman. Maybe, maybe I could get a day, another job. <laughs> maybe I could moonlight. So what is happening here is that Heavy rains are being pushed way up north of Britain. 
<laughs> I'm having fun. And then more moderate rains are sweeping down here, catching North Africa and, and leaving the entire region of the Middle East in drought. And uh, a man writing, Dr. Amos Porat, who is of the IMS's climate department in, in, in Israel, last week in the Jerusalem Post he said this, the dry winter is due to a phenomenon called blocking, in which most of the rainfall systems have been stuck in Western Europe. So there was a blocking for three and a half years because God's answered prayer. Who knows what God will block when you pray? Who knows what doors will open when you pray? Prayer makes a difference. God was showing himself to be everything that he claimed to be. Showing himself to be Lord. One of the greatest preachers who ever lived in Britain was a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Baptist minister. Thousands came to Christ under his ministry in Victorian Britain. And this is what he said about prayer. Prayer is the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. Prayer is that slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence, of God. Because he knew that when we pray, God works. But also he knew that when God works, we pray. Think about it. Prayer is not just a way of manipulating God. It's not even that. True prayer is God-ordained. It is God-initiated. We can never be proud and prideful in our praying. Even the very desire to pray comes from the Holy Spirit. This week we've been praying that your desire would be stirred up by the Spirit, that you would find yourself more readily in the place of prayer than ever before. And that when you pray, you won't be just using your own imagination or your own understanding or your own wisdom. You'd have a second dose of the Holy Spirit and he will reveal to you how to pray in the way that you should pray because the Holy Spirit is the great intercessor who's living in our hearts, who is in touch with the great intercessor who is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And in that way, we learn to cooperate with God. So prayer, when it is the active operation of God, brings about these extraordinary and unimaginable results. One of the best books on prayer is entitled The Kneeling Christian. I can't tell you who it's by because it's anonymous. The book is anonymous. Yet there is a statement in there which I've used many, many times to meditate on the greatness and the power of God operating through prayer, and he describes what prayer has done in biblical witness and testimony. Prayer has divided seas, rolled up flowing rivers, made flinty rocks gush into fountains, quenched flames of fire, muzzled lions, disarmed vipers and poisons, marshaled the armies of the wicked stopped the course, marshaled, uh, uh, marshaled the stars against the wicked, stopped the course of the moon, 
arrested the sun in its rapid race, burst open iron gates, released souls from eternity, conquered the strongest devils, commanded legions of angels down from heaven. Prayer has bridled and changed the outrageous passions of man, routed and destroyed vast armies of proud, blustering atheists. Prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the ocean and carried another in a chariot of fire into heaven. What has prayer not done? Prayer makes a difference, a God difference. When we learn to yield to the working of God, responding to the Holy Spirit, having the desire and presence of mind to pray. We bow the knee before our God and Father in the name of Jesus, and we know that as we pray, God is at work. That's why we are praying, and he is leading and initiating it. And we are responding and cooperating with him. So while God works, we pray, and we pray while God works. We cooperate with God as he works the impossible. Prayer is laying hold of the impossible. They say politics is the art of the possible. In other words, what can be humanly. We're not politicians, we're intercessors. Prayer is the art of the impossible.
Lord, send us out. Open.